today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by The Open Word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. That's why Paul is saying, man, I, I, I pray for you, to, I encourage you to increase and to abound more and more because he knows that it's a continual process for you and I as we go. But you know what? As we live our life in obedience, as we live our life with the desire to walk in, in, in the righteousness of God, the obedience, the righteousness, the holiness of God, there becomes this supernatural outcome of that kind of a life is that growing in love and lives that are pleasing to God. We have to choose to be obedient to the command of God. God calls us to love one another. Paul understood that this commandment was impossible apart from the Lord. In today's message, Pastor David further explains Paul's teaching in 1 Thessalonians that says, when we abide in Christ, we are supernaturally gifted with the ability to love others. We cannot do it on our own. As we grow in Christ, we become more like Him and are able to love more like Him. Are you abiding in Christ and growing in your love for others? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with part 1 of today's message, Your Sanctification. One of the things that we've seen as we've gone through the book of 1 Thessalonians is the first three chapters, really, they, they, there was no major word of correction that Paul was giving to the church. There was no deep doctrinal instruction that he gave. Primarily, 1 Thessalonians is a letter of hope. It's a letter of encouragement. And Paul wanted to let the church know that he was so pleased with the report that Timothy had brought back to him. Remember, he had sent Timothy back there. They weren't able to stay in Thessal Thessalonica very long. So he'd sent Timothy back there and to come back, give me a report. How's the church doing? Timothy comes back and says, man, they're doing great. Uh, their, their, their love for their brethren is great. They're growing in the Lord. And so Paul, again, because of that good report about their faith and their love for one another, he, he was just overwhelmed by that. And, and he writes to them expressing his love, his appreciation, and just his great pleasure that things are going well. Well, now we, we've come to about the halfway mark, actually, of the letter. And there are a couple of issues that Paul wants to touch on, not just for the church of Thessalonica, but actually for every church of every age. Now, I can identify with the apostle here at the beginning of chapter four when he says, now, finally, then, and he's only about halfway through his message, okay? That's just kind of a pastoral thing. I guess he kind of keeps people awake and aware. And in closing, and then the guy goes on for 30 more minutes, but... Uh, this is kind of what, where we're at here. We are in chapter four, 1 Thessalonians, verse one. Paul writes, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more 
just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Actually, when we look at the context, it's, it's not a closing statement when he says, finally then. It's kind of bringing into the, the apex or, or, the, or the high point of his message. He says, now finally, this is really what I need you to know. I need you to understand. Very important information, instruction that he's giving to the church. We see the urgency of that in the words that he uses. He says that we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Now, the message that he's about to share with them, it, it's not something simply that, that, that Paul thinks they need to hear. Actually, when he says, man, we urge you in the Lord Jesus, he's speaking, man, this is what the Lord desires for you to hear. Those words that he uses, to urge and to exhort, when you put those together, again, the, the meaning of those words really drives in the vast and the deep importance of it. He's emphatic in this command, but he delivers it in a heartfelt way. It's, a, it's, it's not like a, uh, a, a commander uh, directing his, his forces. It's not that kind of a way. It's more like someone who is a, a, a father speaking to his children, uh, someone who cares deeply for them. And he says, look, you need to know this. You need to understand this because it's important for your welfare. It's important for your well-being. And he says, in the Lord Jesus. And in essence, he's saying, it's by the authority of the Lord Jesus that he's sharing this. And his command, his concern, his, his request to them is that they should abound more and more. I guess the question is real quick, we could say abound more and more in what? And here's one of the problems that we have with the chapter breaks that are in our Bibles. The chapter breaks that are in our Bibles today actually weren't put in there till about the 13th century. So in Paul's mind, he's writing this whole thing. You and I, we break it up into chapters and verses, and we try to get the, the meaning at every chapter break. And sometimes, man, they're actually blended together. The verses, the separation in the verses, that wasn't put in there till the mid-1500s. It's just so that we can say, hey, all together now, let's go to chapter four, verse three, and everybody knows exactly where we're at. But here in, in 1 Thessalonians, if we look at the highlights or the major focus of the previous two verses of chapter three, I think that those kind of blend in with what he's saying here at the beginning of chapter four. Um, I don't think that it was a good division. I think that the first two verses of chapter four should have been at the end of chapter three, but you know what? They didn't ask my opinion. They still haven't asked my opinion, so we'll just kind of deal with it this way. But back up with me, if you would, to chapter three, the last couple of verses, verse 12. Paul writes to them, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I believe the encouragement was to abound in love to, to one another, and to all, just again, as, as the apostle did for the church there in Thessalonica. Now, to help bring this point home, if we actually skip to the other side of the verses that we're looking at today, follow with my tracking here. Now we're in, back to chapter four, but go down to verses nine and 10, and look at what he's saying. In nine and 10, I believe he's kind of bringing this point all together. He says, but concerning this brotherly love, 
You have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, remember that urge, we exhort you? He says, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Kind of like what he said here at the beginning of that chapter, abounding more and more. I believe that he's speaking about their love to one another, that they would abound more and more in their love to each other and for all. This is the kind of love that we speak of when we speak of the agape love, that love that is self-sacrificial, that love that reaches out beyond ourselves, that love that reaches without expectation of return. It's not because you love me, I love you, but because I love you is because God has called me and told me to love. And that's what he's speaking about here. Uh, and, And again, even the Lord Jesus says that we are to love one another even as I have loved you. Now catch that. You and I are to love each other in the same way that Jesus loved us. How are you doing in that so far? We've got a way to go, don't we? That's why Paul is saying, man, I, I, I pray for you, to, I encourage you to increase and to abound more and more because he knows that it's a continual process for you and I as we go. But you know what? As we live our life in obedience, as we live our life with the desire to walk in, in, in the righteousness of God, the obedience, the righteousness, the holiness of God, there becomes this supernatural outcome of that kind of a life is that growing in love and lives that are pleasing to God. We have to choose to be obedient to the command of God. It is the command of God, it is the will of God, and it is the outflow of a life that is obedient to God. When Jesus says, love one another, guess what? He doesn't say, love those who are lovable. He doesn't say, love those that you really like. Love one another, and in your love for one another, What does he say? The world will know that you are my disciples. That's why it's so important for you and I to love one another. But you know what? It's often difficult to love one another. Amen? Yeah, some of you kind of shy about, well, yeah, there's there's one or five or 12 or 15 or 50 that, yeah, that I have a problem with. But it's the call that we have because, you see, we don't love, as I said, because we're lovable. We love out of obedience to Christ. And it's a love. If, 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 if we don't get this whole idea of what that love is about, we're going to miss it. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love of thinking more of others than ourselves. It's a love that doesn't worry about what's in it for me, but how I might be a blessing to others. And if we don't get that down, then we'll never be able to fulfill the balance of what the Lord Jesus has in store for us and in plan for us, nor even what the Apostle Paul directs the church to be in because he continues on with this idea of lives that are absolutely surrendered to the Lord. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter four, now moving into verse three. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, 
that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Wow, there is like so much within that short little period of of verses there. So much that you and I need to respond to. Yes, as a church as, as a whole, but also as individual members within the body, when we look at what he's speaking. As we look at it, we understand that that first statement that he makes there, again, that this is the will of God, your sanctification, that's not separate from the rest. That's actually intricately tied in to the balance of the statement that he's making. But for a moment, if you would, let's just consider that first portion. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification comes from a, a, a Greek word, hagiosmos. Now, hagiosmos, again, it, it, it comes from the root word uh, uh, of holy or set apart. And in the context of the scripture, the idea of set apart is set apart from the world and set unto the things of God, used for holy service. The instruments within the temple, within the tabernacle, were set apart. They were sanctified for holy use. It's translated here as sanctification, which means, again, that process by which you and I grow in what's called a a practical holiness, a practical holiness. Again, some have summarized the, the status of our sanctification or our holiness as being kind of threefold. Stick with me here, but it's the idea of positional progressive, and then finally, permanent holiness. And I find that so true literally in the balance of Scripture, Old Testament and New. First of all, as believers in Jesus Christ, through the washing away of our sin, through the sacrifice of Christ, when we come to that point of believing Christ, where our sin is forgiven, we are then positionally holy. We are positionally holy, not because of what we've done, but because the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from what? Every sin, every sin, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we become positionally holy. You know how some days you don't really feel holy? Okay, maybe most days you don't really feel holy. The fact is, is in Christ, we are holy. And as we mature in our Christian life, we should be drawing closer to the Lord, growing or progressing in our holiness or in our sanctification. In other words, that old junk of the world is, is, is being peeled back. The old luggage that we're carrying, man, is being left behind. And we are moving closer and closer to the Lord Jesus. That's what we are called to. Beloved, this may be a news break for some of you. But we are not called simply to be saved and then sit in that until the Lord takes us home. 
We are called to be saved into his kingdom and then to progress in our life, again, to the very image of Christ, conformed to the image of Christ, growing in the decisions that we make, the directions that we go, our our life, our heart, our passions, growing in him, progressing in sanctification. So when we come as believers, we are positionally sanctified. And as we grow in Christ, we are progressing in sanctification. And then thirdly, at the end of our days, when we come face to face with the Lord Jesus, when we cast off this body of sin, when we take this temporary tent and and put it away, when we get rid of this old carcass that we're hauling around, when this mortal puts on immortality, that's when we come finally to that permanent sanctification that completed place within our spirits that we, again, fully, completely, permanently sanctified. Although for now, as Paul is speaking of sanctification, more often than not, he's speaking about that continual lifelong journey, that work of progressive sanctification in our life. And that's what Paul makes mention of here, our sanctification, dealing with the choices that we make on this earth that have heavenly consequences. Choices that you and I make on this earth here today, tomorrow, this coming week, that are gonna have heavenly and eternal consequences. And the very first issue that he deals with with the Thessalonians here in this idea of progressive sanctification is to abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. I don't believe that the, the, the city of Thessalonica would have been any worse than the city of Corinth. As a matter of fact, Corinth was one of the worst of the age as far as, uh, again, its moral decline, the vileness and the wickedness that, that was there. And, and yet Paul is there in Corinth writing to the church of Thessalonica. Now his thoughts are to warn the church of Thessalonica to abstain from sexual immorality. Corinth was so vile in their lifestyle that if you, if, if you had a person uh, that, again, you looked at them and, uh, by their moral actions, by their attitudes, by their loose life, by their indiscreet uh, uh, relationships, their immoral behavior, you could say that they've been Corinthianized. You, uh, she's been Corinthianized. You can see it in her. Or he's been Corinthianized. That's just the way. Because again, to think of Corinth is to think of the most vile and immoral type of a lifestyle. Corinth was known for that multitude and that, that blatantness of all the pagan temple prostitutes and the effect that it had on the moral structure of the whole culture and the whole city at that point. And as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he sees firsthand the destruction of the lives all around him, and yes, even in the church of Corinth due to sexual immorality. You remember when he writes to Corinth, he's dealing with some sexual immorality there. As a matter of fact, much of what he writes to Corinth, both in First and Second Corinthians, deals with living our lives pure from sexual immorality. Again, uh, the, the, the whole idea, the whole understanding, sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, pornea. It deals with any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, extramarital, premarital. 
Forms of the word were used to describe someone involved in prostitution, whether it be male or female, slave or free. The word is used to describe both the actions as well as the individuals themselves. And yes, you probably figured it out by now. It's where we get the word pornography. Pornography. Paul deals with this issue of sexual immorality throughout his writings to the various churches. And as I shared, his writings to Corinth in particular covers many of those verses. It was obviously a major battle of the day to keep the mind clear and free from the trappings of of, of that, that loose, that immoral society that they lived in at that point in time. But beloved, I believe the battle today is worse than ever before. And that's a big statement because the Roman culture was absolutely vile. But I believe that we are moving, if not already in it, in a worse condition in our culture. It's a battle that goes on today in the heart and the minds of both men and women, both young and old. And with the rise of the internet, it's expanded the use of pornography exponentially over the last three or four decades. Absolutely amazing. Through a variety of some reliable sources, Time Warner, CNN, the BBC, safefamilies.org, nationalcoalition.org, and the Barna Group, and a host of others, There's been statistics that have been compiled, tabulated through the years that bring us to a very disturbing reality that we need to come to a clear understanding. Beloved, our nation is addicted to pornography. As a nation, we are. And even sadder, the church is not far behind the nation. Statistics show there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. 12% of the websites on the internet are pornographic, 12%. You might think, well, that's not very many until you understand and realize that that's over 24,600,000 websites are dedicated specifically to pornography. The average age that a child sees porn online is 11 years old. That's male and female. Parents, guardians, you guys have to be the gatekeeper to your child's internet usage. Do you have filters? Do you have a process in in, in place to guard their hearts and their minds? 72% of all males say they have visited porn sites in the last month. And ladies, you're not immune from it. 28% of females. A recent survey conducted by the Barna Group found that approximately two-thirds, 64% of U.S. men view pornography at least monthly. Moreover, the study revealed the number of Christian men viewing pornography virtually mirrors the national average. Christian men, almost the same as the nation. Now, I could go on and on about the dangers and the damage that pornography does to individuals, to couples, to families, to careers, and yes, even to ministries. 
As followers of Jesus, we will face persecution in this world. There are many who refuse to acknowledge the truth and perfect love of the Savior, and thanks to the influence of the enemy, they'll try to thwart our attempts to share the gospel. This isn't a new development, however. Persecution of Jesus' disciples has happened since the beginning. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to the taunts and misleading teaching. We can be like the Thessalonian church of which we've been studying with Pastor David, becoming examples to those around us who believe. You never know who may be watching and who might come to know Jesus through your perseverance. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians? Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for joining us today for The Open Word.